Good morning, everyone. Good morning. As Rick had mentioned, my name is Derek. I'm a student at Moody Bible Institute, and I've been uh, interning here over the past summer, but also previous summers before that. Uh, if you don't know who I am, chances are your kids or grandkids might. I've been working with uh, Justin and Terry over in the youth ministry for the past couple of years. But this is a real privilege and joy for me to be able to stand before you today, deliver from God's word. I wanna say thank you to Rick and Jason and the elders for uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, this 4th of July, I hope that you do have a happy and safe holiday, but uh, also take time to remember our loved ones, armed forces, active duty, reserve members, but also uh, uh, police and fire and EMS um, people as well. <clears throat> as we get started, would you uh, join with me in prayer, please? Oh Lord, you are God. We exalt you and praise your name for your plans are faithful and sure and founded. Even before we wake up in the morning, you know our days. And time and time again, you've proved yourself faithful. You remain constant even when everything else around us appears to be changing. And your word is unchanging and it is stable. And so we look to your word this morning for our help in our own lives, our relationships, our communities, for our nation. So I pray that you would be our teacher and lead us by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just over a week ago, I was trapped in Dayton, Ohio, three and a half hours away from Cleveland where I needed to be for a wedding. And the bus, it showed up, and, and I was ready. I, I, I arrived 30 minutes early. I had my bags packed. My ticket was in my back pocket. All signs pointed to a successful bus ride. And as, as the driver got out of the bus, he grabbed the first person in line, and there was about a dozen of us just standing there, bewildered. They run off into the bus, and then all of a sudden, the bus pulls off the parking lot. There I am, standing wondering where in the world is this bus going? And I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to demand answers from the workers. W what just happened? Why are we not on that bus? When's the next bus coming? And they said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And so naturally you worry. Naturally you would get worried. You have to be in a wedding. You gotta be somewhere. And just, just by a show of hands, how many of us worry? There we go. That's much better than first service. There's only like 10 people. I call them all liars. <laughs> yes, we all worry. And I, I think it's in our nature to worry. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they, they ran and hid themselves. They weren't casually strolling over to the bushes. They knew they were in trouble. They had sin. They had to cover it up. They were ashamed of it. And so they were worried. They were hustling. It's in our nature to worry, especially when something doesn't go according to our own expectations. Right? We worry. We might get angry. We so often try to take control of the situation, try to fix it. Like spell check, you see that red squiggly line and you just have to fix it, gotta delete that. God never asked us to take control or to try to fix it. He does, however, ask us to trust him. And for many of you today, I recognize that may seem like it's an impossible thing to do. But we're gonna look at a passage in Isaiah here shortly talks about trusting God. And what are the benefits of trusting God? How can we trust God? 
Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Isaiah, and we specifically looking at the character and nature of God and why that's important for our own lives and how do we respond to that. And so if you do have your Bible with me, please join me in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have that version, it's provided up there on the screen if you want to follow along there. Isaiah, chapter 26, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 26, starting in verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Our God is a rock for us to trust in and to find perfect peace. He extends assurance and hope for his people during turmoil and uncertainty. Read again uh, verses three and four there. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Last week, Pastor Rick had mentioned that uh, from Isaiah 6, that was the year that King Uzziah died, and everybody was left wondering, what in the world are we going to do? Is this son going to be a good king or a bad king? And now we fast forward 20 chapters, and we see that God's people is surrounded by nations that hate them. They're adamantly opposed to God's people. Not only do they hate God's people, but they were also rebellious against God's law. And whenever you see that trend going all throughout the Old Testament, people that oppose God's people and remain disobedient to God's law, God comes down with judgment on those. And that's what we're coming to here in this passage. The surrounding nations are under God's judgment. But God protects those who find their security in him. Verses one, talk, verses one and two talk about God setting up a strong city, salvation for the people that look to him. And it's only, only the righteous nation that keeps faith who is allowed to enter into that. So God's people look to him for their salvation and hope during this difficult time as he secured and protected them from these surrounding nations. But not only does God protect his people, but he also gives them his peace. And the Hebrew word here for peace is shalom. Can, can you guys repeat shalom? shalom? Shalom. One more time. Shalom. Very good. Hebrew scholars. <laughs> shalom can uh, be translated as peace, but other times it's also referred to as wholeness or tranquility or, or lacking in nothing. And that's, that's what we're finding here. But not only do we see shalom, but it's also repeated. And whenever a a Hebrew author wanted to repeat something, it was always to add emphasis. Okay, 
it's shalom, shalom. It's, it's that back to back. And we only see that one other time in, in all throughout the Old Testament, and it happens to be in Isaiah as well. So Isaiah, he, he's drawing attention to the, the emphasis of this peace, this shalom. It's, it's a whole peace. It's, it's a peace that doesn't lack in anything. It's a, it's a perfect peace. It's a peace that God can only offer. Now let's make something very, very clear here. Peace doesn't mean that everything goes according to our plans, does it? No, and if you think about this, you know, God's people surrounded by nations that hate them, that sure doesn't sound like everything's going according to plan. Certainly not according to what we think should be happening. So what is this peace? This verse uh, speaks of peace as a quietness or tranquility. It's being able to keep calm even during uncertain circumstances. Pastor John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, the Kekchi Indians of Guatemala define peace as quiet goodness. The term they use conveys the idea of something that is both active and aggressive. It's not just a rest in one's own heart away from troublesome circumstances. The biblical concept of peace does not focus on the absence of trouble. But he says, biblical peace is unrelated to circumstances. It's a goodness of life that is not touched by what happens on the outside. He says, you may be in the midst of great trials and still have biblical peace. Peace doesn't mean that everything's all bliss. It's not all roses. But when you have God's peace, you're able to remain calm, quiet, sure. It doesn't downplay the fact that you maybe have got laid off last week and you got no money coming in and the kids are looking for you to provide. It doesn't disregard the fact that you have a loved one on life support and you have to make a tough decision. Those are certainly tough choices to make. And we can still find peace when we look to God because he is a God of peace. Hebrews 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5 say that it's in God's own nature that he be a God of peace. He doesn't rejoice over war and famine and turmoil and, and distress and persecution, but he's a God of peace. He, cre- he created the whole world in peace. You know, before Adam and Eve sinned, there was peace in the garden. And Christ came that he might restore peace, a peace with God. Romans 5 talks about how it's only through faith that we might have peace with God. In Revelation 21, we're gonna have that up on the slides here. Say that God is going to restore peace once again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. He is a God of peace. Now we may be by nature chronic warriors and planners, but we all have that deep, deep desire for peace. And there's one of two ways of achieving that peace. Either you look to cheap imitations, whether that's your 401k, whether that's a college education, a political candidate, congressional party. Those are all things that we may tend to look to for our peace, but it's just a cheap imitation. Or you can look to God for peace, a perfect peace, a peace that only he can supply, a peace that even unbelievers want to see, want to have in their own life. There's a theologian by the name of Augustine. He said, Our hearts are restless 
until they rest in God. And that's what I'm talking about here. That's this perfect peace. It's a peace that only God can supply. So how do we find it? How do we find this peace that only God can offer? Look with me once again at verses 3 and 4. Isaiah is going to tell us exactly what we need to do in order to find this perfect peace. He says that we must trust God and have our thoughts firmly secured on him. Now, trusting God means that all of, all of my confidence, all of my hope, all of my faith is in God, in God alone. My thoughts are fixed on him. When something goes wrong or not according to my plan, I look to him. I trust in him. And when you do that, God grants you his perfect peace. Because he is our everlasting rock. Perfect peace only comes from the everlasting rock. Kent Frazier and his five kids have been ministering to remote area churches in Canada for the past couple of years. And Kent and his family are from Minnesota. And so in the wintertime, when the uh, road is slick with ice, they have to take bush planes in in order to, to get to these churches. Kent and his family, they, they play music for these churches. So you can imagine carrying all this band equipment in a bush plane. It gets pretty crowded pretty quick. And so Kent and the pilot, they, they go off on the first leg of the journey with all this equipment, and just fine. The pilot returns back to Minnesota to pick up the kids. And as they're setting off, get about 100 feet off the air, off the ground. And one of the engines stalled, and the pilot lets out this sound. He goes, uh-oh. Not something you want to hear from your pilot, your barber, mechanic, or doctor. And uh-oh. Sure enough, he comes, he's trying to land the plane on the last stretch of the runway, and he comes down hard. The plane starts spinning out of control, rolling over. Miraculously, the pilot and the five kids, nobody was injured. Apart from some minor bruises and scratches, everybody remained just fine. But that didn't stop Kent from wondering about the what-ifs. What if they're not okay? What if somebody is seriously injured and I can't get back to my own family? Kent had to look to God, trust in him as the rock. And when Kent did, he found that perfect peace. Same goes for us. No matter our circumstances, when we trust in the Lord, fully upon him, not in our own strength or resources, he can grant us his perfect peace. We have to, uh, we have to know who God is. If we didn't know who God is from this passage, we would never know that we'd be able to trust him. A.W. Tozer once wrote that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And so if we don't know who our God is, then how are we going to ever find peace in this life? Not only that, but it's when we see God rightly that we can see ourselves rightly and how we impact society around us, how we live in a community, how we live in the body of Christ. And so it's so important for us to, to look at these passages and to really dig deep and figure out who is God. We have to know who God is because when we truly know him, we recognize that he's an everlasting rock and a place for us to place our hope and our trust in him. Our God is also a, a rock that levels the playing field of pride. Look again at verses five through nine. He humbles the proud and raises up those who desire him. 
You see there the, the imagery in verse five where he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city, and he lays them low to the ground. They're basically eating dirt right now. Those who were once humble are now gonna be lifted up over those who were once proud. God levels the playing field of pride. Now these uh, surrounding nations, they had this attitude of, I've got this all figured out. I can do my own thing. I got my own resources. I got my own strength. Why do I need to trust in God? And certainly, we kind of have that same attitude too. When I was in high school, I had this attitude of, don't tell me what to do and don't tell me when to do it. If you've got kids in high school or teenagers, you probably know what I'm talking about. You parents, don't become proud. You do it too. We are totally dependent upon him. Our strength and our resources, our gifts. He's gonna level the playing field of pride. So we can't go on trusting our own strength, our own resources, our own intelligence. We need to trust him fully, commit ourselves to him. He's a rock. He's sure, he's steadfast, he's unchanging. He's, he's gonna bring righteousness to the land as we saw in verses <clears throat> seven and eight there, that God is bringing righteousness. And that's something that we all long for, don't we? We wanna see God's righteousness, not only in our own lives, but also in our communities and in the lives of our loved ones, in our nation. And I believe we're only gonna see that righteousness when Christ returns. Christ is coming to rule and reign again and his righteousness is gonna be evident to everybody around him. And if that's not, if that's not enough for you, to know that Christ is coming back to rule and reign, if that's not your hope, if you can't trust in that message, then where are you gonna find that perfect peace? Those cheap imitations? Those are all vain. We have to look to Christ. Our hope must be fully on him. Pastor Ken mentioned this in, during our staff meeting this last week. He said, every time you see revival happening in the Old Testament, it always starts with God's people. We've got to get back to the word. Got to get back to the word. Got to get back to the word. That's how a revival starts. Same goes for us today. That pattern hasn't changed. Revival starts with us right here, getting back to the word, learning who God is and how we respond to him. He will be king when every eye sees him they will see righteousness. And those who humble themselves and trust in the Lord find not only perfect peace, but they also make God their greatest desire. They find great joy in trusting him. The desires of their souls are satisfied in the God who is their rock. He brings them both peace and also joy. Author C.S. Lewis once wrote that a car is meant to run on gasoline Bright idea. <laughs> but he also says that the human body, we're, we're meant to run and feed our souls on the scriptures, on God. There is no other, he says. That is why it's just not, no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. Listen to this. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. And when we humble ourselves before God, 
keep our trust in him as our firm foundation. He brings us that peace, that perfect peace, but he also fills us with joy. Our God is a rock that tells us his firm plans. If you would turn maybe one page over to Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Now remember this, Jason mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that this was written 700 years before the time of Christ. Our God is a God that tells us his firm plans. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and whoever believes in him will not be in haste. God has laid a foundation stone 700 years beforehand. He's telling his people, I've got a plan, and it involves a stone. The stones, they're rock solid. They're firm. They're steady. You can trust in a stone. This stone was a foundation stone. In fact, it was a cornerstone. And that, that means that it was placed in the corner of a foundation. Now, if you ask a building contractor, they'd always tell you that the foundation is the most important part of the building. And a cornerstone was even more important than just the foundation because it set all the other stones into place. And so if the cornerstone wasn't level, if it wasn't set securely in place, all the other stones of the foundation would be affected. He says this cornerstone is being laid in Zion, and Zion was the, was the city of God's people. It's where salvation would come from. It's where the good news would come out of. 700 years beforehand, we see God's plan to raise up a cornerstone. And Christ is that cornerstone, as we see in Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ is that cornerstone. He's our everlasting rock. And he's also that cornerstone. It's in him that we place our trust and our hope and our confidence in that we might find that perfect peace. No congressional leader, no political party, not your 401k, not your education, not your resources, not even your own family. If you're looking for perfect peace, it's only found in Christ, who's our everlasting rock and our cornerstone. Isaiah wrote that, that we don't have to be in panic. There's no need to, to be in panic about when, when even when the world is wondering what's going on, God's people can remain sure and steady and unwavering because he's our everlasting rock. We can rest assured that he is in control. We can always go to him and rely upon him. And you may be thinking, Derek, you have absolutely no idea of what I'm going through this week. And you're right, I don't. And all you tell me to do is trust God like it's no big deal, like it's easy. It's not easy. Nobody ever said it was going to be. But if you're hurting, if you're burdened, why hide it? 
Your God, our Father in heaven, knows exactly what you're going through. So why hide it? You can trust in him. He's a rock for us to go to. He's our support. There's a beautiful little song that speaks of both hardship and despair. And for many of you today, I think that you're gonna be able to uh, relate to some of these lyrics. And so if you just kind of listen as I read these off, it goes like this. When the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When they let me go and I just don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, I did my best. Now I'm scared to death that we might lose everything. And when the sickness takes my child away and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust you. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Jesus Christ is our hope. He's our cornerstone. He's our everlasting rock. And if you trust in him, you look to him, fix your thoughts on him and on him alone. He'll grant you with this perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me as we close? Sovereign Lord, you are from everlasting to everlasting. No one and no thing could ever take your place. You alone are God and you alone are worthy of our trust and our commitment. We praise your great name for the peace that you grant us, the peace that surpasses all understanding. We may be sorrowful at times, but yet we are always rejoicing. So we look to you, place our unwavering trust in you and in you alone, that you might grant us with your peace to honor and glorify Christ, our cornerstone. Let our words and our actions reflect this peace that you give us so that others would look at our lives and turn to you for their salvation. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.